Gracias por sintonizar nuestro podcast. Te habla tu servidor, el Pastor Mario. Esperamos que este mensaje te anime, te desafíe y hable a tu corazón. Disfruta el This morning, I have a very important message that I believe is, is going to shake some, some stuff up. Everyone say, shake it up. Eso. Uh, if you want to go ahead and put the uh, screen up on. This morning's message is titled, The Strategies of Satan. Now, sadly, uh, in my design aspect, because I make my own slides and my own designs, um, on, my, on my computer monitor, it looked a lot brighter. Um, you can't really tell, but indeed, uh, it's an image of the Garden of Eden with Eve speaking to the serpent. And that's where we are going to uh, receive our scripture from, Genesis chapter 3. So if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. The, the strategies of Satan. Satan has been up to no good, church. He has been planning and planning, and he has not stopped. But thankfully, we serve a God who is more prepared. Amen. So I wanna, I'm going to be narrating some things f for you this morning, and we're going to go on this journey of discovering the strategies of Satan. Everyone say strategies. Now, imagine that you are about to embark on a very long and very dangerous journey in which you have to participate in. Now, In that journey you are about to experience, before you start, you are given a map. Everyone say map. Now, on that map, there are indicators of every landmine, C4 explosive, every ditch, every pothole, every quicksand trap, areas to avoid, dead ends, food supplies, clean water reservoirs, rest areas, shelters, and clear indicator of where the journey is supposed to end. So in other words, the map has everything you need to know. Now, how would you treat this map? Would you keep it? How often would you look at this map? You may think, well, the map, eh, it's not that important. Or my favorite, you may even decide, well, see, the map tells me, but actually, I think I know better. I, th I think I know how to do this on my own. Or you may even decide this map is essential. Everyone say essential. Now, refusal to use the map on this journey you are about to start or embark will obviously produce negative consequences, correct? If you know that in front of you there is a ditch covered in leaves, would you step in it? No, right? Because if the map tells you, don't step right there, the obvious choice would be step over or go around or simply follow the map. I want you to pin that map in the back of your mind because we're going to be using it throughout this, this message. Now, The church, for so long, has allowed itself to become a defensive entity. 
Now, this morning, I wore a suit and tie because I'm, I'm, I'm here to do business with the Father. This is a business meeting, and we are about to be charged with the responsibility of knowing the strategies that the enemy is using in society today. But now the church has become a defensive entity. We are all about defending, but rarely do we ever do the attacking. The believers have allowed themselves to become passive and tolerant at any expense of their convictions. I don't know how many of you tend to communicate with people that are not believers or that are believers, but I, these are some of the arguments in which people and I, that I've talked to have told me. Well, you know, Jesus, Jesus would have worn a mask. Jesus would have gotten the vaccine. He would have done it. And their argument is because he says, love thy neighbor. And I ask myself, but Jesus shook hands with the lepers and healed them. There was no vaccine against leprosy. Leprosy upon contact, you would, you, you would automatically receive. Jesus did not go in with a mask. He went in with faith. Now, I don't know how many of you saw this, but Kamala Harris, she dared to cite the Bible. She said, Loving thy neighbor is essentially the essence of the Bible, and loving thy neighbor means getting vaccinated. And I thought, oh, girl, don't you dare mix the word of God with your agenda, please, woman. But nowadays, people say, you can't judge a gay person. You have to love and accept them for who they are. But the Bible actually tells us to be judges, and he tells us how to judge. The Bible doesn't say don't judge. The matter in which you judge, it, you will also be judged. So we are su supposed to be righteous judges. Some people say, well, I was born this way. I was born liking the same sex. I was born the wrong gender. But there is a reason why Jesus says you have to be born again. Well, you were born that way, that's fine. If, if you're born again, then you'll be reversed to your original design. So don't let people use the I was born this way argument. You, you, you just received ammunition. Remind them, well, Christ tells us to be born again. We have allowed the devil and his demons to infiltrate our schools, our families, our society, our way of living. And as a church, it is essential for us to learn the strategies that the devil is using to poison our world. We need to understand what he is doing, how he is doing it, in order to learn how to stop him and therefore advance the kingdom of heaven. So look to your neighbor on the left and on the right and tell them you better not fall asleep. But I was up late, I don't care. But I'm tired, good for you. It's very easy to get sleepy in topics like this. Believe me when I tell you, it is very easy to get sleepy when you are about to receive a word of deliverance. 
It's funny how the best time to take a nap is during church. It's mid-morning, you've already had breakfast, it's not lunch yet, you're feeling a little bit of that, oh man, I could go for a little nap right now. Believe me, I know these things, especially when the Word of God is involved. So if you catch your, your neighbor slipping, I bless you to lay hands on them. Bless them the way Christ blessed the tables in the tabernacle that was being used for the wrong thing. Flip their chair if you need to. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, we learn and we can evidently see the strategies of the devil. And his sole purpose is to bring negative consequences to your life. In professional sports, we see that the athletes, as they're preparing for their game, the coach and the coaching staff along with the team sit together in a room and watch film. They don't just watch a random movie. They don't watch a motivational film to get them inspired. No. They watch film about their opponent. They study every movement of every play. They look for tendencies. They look for weak points. If you're a linebacker, you are studying the movements of the quarterback. You are analyzing, okay, when he drops his shoulder, he's going to fake pass and run. That means that when I look at that, I know where he's going. They study every inch of their opponent for what? To beat them. If you do your research and if you prepare yourself the right way, you have an advantage over the one who is not ready. And I got news for you. Satan has film on you. He watches. He has assembled his demonic team and they sit and the, the devil has assigned a demon for you and he says, you better watch everything Wendy does. Watch her tendencies. Watch her habits. Look for the weak points. Look for the strong points. Look for her inclinations and look for her preferences. Study everything Wendy does. Study how she wakes up in the morning. Study how she goes to bed at night. Yeah, you're on film. I didn't give my consent. That doesn't apply. You're being watched for the sole purpose of learning how to provide negative consequences to your life for the ultimate goal of your destruction. There is a contract. There is a tailor-made strategy for you to cause negative consequences, not only to your life, but to the lives that belong to you. You think that the enemy is not going to attack Chelsea or Martha because they're pregnant? Because they're pregnant, the enemy's thinking, we need to assign a devil for those babies. You have no idea how many times when my wife was pregnant, we experienced spiritual attacks. For a lot of reasons, insecurities, fears, but others were just for intimidation. Why? Because the devil doesn't want people of faith obeying the scripture where it says, be fruitful and multiply. 
When you abide in that principle, the enemy wants to attack your children. It's no coincidence that the school is now an issue. And I'll get to that in a moment. But today is my desire that you will see and learn the strategy of Satan so you can better see the landmines, the traps, the pitfalls that are occurring around you and you can learn how to deal with them. You can learn how to overcome them and therefore overcome your enemy. Now I'm going to read verses that we have read all of our lives for most of us. But I want you to look at them with the lens of now strategy. Everyone say strategy. All right, church, let's strategize this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And I am reading out of the New Living Translation. It says this. Well, I'll read out of the New American Standard. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field in which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from or touch it or you will die. Verse 4 says, The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit, ate it, gave it to her husband, and with her, and he ate. How many of you have read those verses before? How many of you picked up on any strategies the enemy used? Let me, let me emphasize, I got four main strategies. Now, from these four strategies, you can pull on strands and learn sub-strategies that apply. These are the four main strategies that I believe have the majority of influence over a person, over a believer, over somebody who is desiring a life of faith. In Genesis 3, verse 1, it's interesting how the Scripture describes a snake. Now, the serpent was more crafty. Now, I'm so glad that Pastor, we, we did not collaborate on, this, on these messages, but he spoke about craftiness on Wednesday. But craftiness in regards to who? To who? Christ. Yes, Jesus. Crafty is not a bad thing. It's not bad to be crafty. It's a good thing when it's used for good reasons. But I encourage you to watch Wednesday's message about the craftiness of Christ. That would, that would have been a good title, Craftiness of Christ, right? But that's, that's me. That's, that's in English. Now, crafty means sneaky or shrewd. So when the devil made his move, okay? The devil made a move. When he decides to make his move, he decides to pick an animal that is like himself. Follow me? The enemy is crafty. The enemy is sneaky. He's very shrewd. Now, 
The enemy chose something that would be consistent with his nature and what he wanted to achieve. So Satan knows what to choose and who to choose in order to get into your world, to sneak his way, to slither his way into your world and capture your undivided attention. The snake, I've, I've had a few encounters with snakes. I hate snakes. I don't like them. They're gross. I don't like how creepy they are and how yucky their skin feels. But snakes, and you try to kill one, do they go out without a fight? They're moving. They're, they're doing whatever they can to avoid being crushed. They're sneaky. They're fast. They're quick. They're swift. But they can also be very subtle. They can just slither. And you don't even notice. Next thing you know, you're already slowly being wrapped up. And when you notice, it's too late. But I, I have a thought here. Have you ever wondered? <laughs> have you ever wondered why Eve was even talking to this snake? Her first response when she heard the snake ask her a question is to respond to the question. If a snake speaks to me, my first response is, What? A talking snake? No other animal was able to speak. Yeah, the cows mooed and the horses neighed and the chickens clucked, like Oliver's book says that. And the pigs oinked and the birds chirped. But there was no vocalization of a verbiage of words. There, there was no words, human words. But the first response of Eve is to engage in something abnormal. Because even within Eden, talking animals were not normal. But the enemy didn't show up to Eve like, like an angel of light, right? He didn't show up to Eve like his demonic self. He showed up to Eve in something that was natural to their atmosphere, but then presented an abnormal quality. Now notice, this is something very important for you to notice as well. And I'll get into the first strategy here in just a minute. So before I get to that, if you notice anything abnormal about what's happening around you, pay attention. Pay attention. Don't just say, uh, whatever. Pay attention. Because what starts abnormal can end up horrible. Now, here, if you look at Genesis 3, you'll notice that when the serpent speaks... He says, indeed has God said. Verse 1, right? Indeed has God said. Did God really say? But what's funny to me is that in chapter 2 of Genesis, and even the first part of, of verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the, what's that next word? 
Now the serpent was, come on church, you got to read with me. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the, the Lord God had made. But when Satan speaks, he says, indeed has God said, what is missing? The word Lord is missing, but this is why it's significant. In Genesis chapter 1, when God creates creation, when, you, when the Bible says, and God said, God, the Hebrew translation is Elohim, meaning the mighty powerful one. So in creation, God was recognized by his power. Okay, Elohim, follow me, okay? Genesis chapter 1 specifically is, this, is opening our understanding of God as Elohim, the mighty one, the powerful one. Why? Because he was ex, uh, exemplifying how he was so powerful through creation. Because only the mighty one would be able to create all existence. And we've gone through this Time, space, energy, and matter. I won't get into that again, but you can go back and watch those messages. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, what word gets added? Now, the Lord God. Why add Lord? This, this is the important. Now, the Lord is added before God, so now it becomes the Lord God. And specifically, as he shifts from creation of the material world of what we know as earth and the universe, that is God, as Elohim, but as his creation changes from what we see in our world to ourselves, he changes to Lord God. Because now he's going to deal with something that, has, that he does not have with his creation, but he will have with this created, which is relationship. Lord, there is a reason why we accept our Lord and Savior. He becomes our Lord when we enter into a covenantal relationship with him. It's not just a statement of, yes, Lord Jesus. No, it's an acknowledgement of relationship. You are Lord over me. If you are not Lord over me, then you are just God. And God, or gods, there are many. But there is only one real God. So when you direct specifically into your level of relationship, He will be your Lord. He will not just be your God. Follow me. The, the uh, distinction is very important. When God is creating creation, he is Elohim, the mighty one, the powerful one. When God shifts his perspective and now he's going to create his beloved, we are, he, he is Lord God. The snake, the sneaky snake, what he basically is doing when he, re when he speaks to Eve is he is basically saying to Eve, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here. Let's, let's, let's talk about God but leave out relationship. Because we can be religious and the devil won't bat an eye, the devil won't mind. But the moment that we become relational, that's what catches his attention. So if you have a relationship with Christ, they're studying you. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, you are of no threat. 
The devil doesn't mind that you're in church. In fact, a lot of times, he allows people to come to church. But he doesn't mind that you're here in church this morning or even watching as long as you don't have or develop a relationship with the Lord. The devil doesn't mind God talk. He's not scared of God talk. He's scared of relationship talk. Now, (laughs) the devil knows that God is real. And often he knows it better than me and you. And he knows everything there is to know about God and the significance of relationship. You know how, how he knows that? Because he was once there. He was once an archangel. He was once in charge of, of the worship in heaven. You know this. This is theology, basic theology. Okay, good. Lucifer or the morning star, Lucifer, was once an archangel. But his pride led to his fall. So he knows what it means to be in the presence of God. He knows what it means to have relationship with God. And because he knows that, that is what terrifies him when his created have relationship with the creator. Because he's been there. He knows the benefit. He knows the blessing. He knows what it produces in someone's life. So his target is to destroy the relationship between created and creator, between us and God. Now, the plan of the enemy will always be to convince you of the opposite. Relationship with God, you don't need that. You don't need a relationship. You just have to go to church. Just go and you're good. The enemy's biggest promotional lie. Just go to church. That's it. You're fine. If your butt is in a chair, whoo, heaven's happy. And Genesis chapter 3 is the origin of sin. Now, when God created creation, he saw that it was what? Good. Some translations say very good. So God created the snake, and the snake was good. Why, God? Why? But the devil chose to use an animal that was originally good for something bad. And funny how life can be very similar, right? Oh, this job, it's from God. I got the promotion. That's, that's amazing. So now what? Does that mean, you know, you work less, but you get paid more? No, I work about 10 times more and get paid a little bit more. But it's a promotion. God has blessed me. Well, how, how much more are you going to work? Well, I have to work Wednesdays and Sundays, but, but I, it's a blessing. Where is the blessing? If something pulls you away from God, church, Christianity 101, if it pulls you from God, it's from the devil. Because you will always be pulled towards the origin of what is pulling you. So if, if, if God presents an opportunity for you to gain an employment, a relationship, something that is going to elevate your ability to relate with God, then it's of God. 
But if it's going to pull you in the opposite direction, it's going to consume more of your time away from church, away from your family, think twice because it's pulling you in the opposite direction. And I know that opportunities don't always come. Pastor mentioned a couple weeks ago when I was, I was given the opportunity to, to move my entire life to West Virginia. Country road, take me home to that place I belong. It's an old song. That's not going to translate. Uh, pastor, sorry. It's, just, it's an old country song. West Virginia. And the pastor went to Oral Roberts specifically looking for me because he saw that I was graduating with my degree in graphic design. I was an Oral Roberts student about to you know, in, enter the world, though, the workforce, and he wanted somebody with a Christian background to join his church, his team, and his media um, ministry. I was basically going to be Nono for them. Just not without the creativity that Nono has. I mean, Nono's amazing. But that was my opportunity. And it was for a church. I mean, how much more spiritual can you get? Right? A pastor is seeking me. They came to seek me out. I didn't even ask to be interviewed. He messaged me on Facebook saying, hey, I'm here in Tulsa. I'm from this. This is my pastor. We're about 3,000 people. We have, he, gave me, he gave me his resume. I'm thinking, great, sure, this is awesome, yeah. But what could have been something that seems the right direction would have pulled me completely in the opposite direction of where I'm supposed to be today. It's not always easy to give up. Thank you, Wendy, for being glad that I'm here. It's not always easy to give up an employment. It's not always easy to give up a relationship. It's not always easy to give up an opportunity. But know that when God provides the opportunity for you, it will always benefit you in such a magnitude that you will get on your knees thanking God that you didn't take the other opportunity. And we, we have people in this church, one of them is working the camera, that had, I'm sure he had many op opportunities. But look where he is today. Look, look where you are today. And an analyze, have I been taking the opportunities leading me or pulling me from God? But know that the enemy can take something that starts good and convert it to something bad. So be very mindful. Be very mindful. Everyone say strategy. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you the first strategy this morning because I'm going to, I have a, a time to finish by that I want to honor. The devil's first strategy that I, I want to give you this morning is this. He wants you to miss him. He will do everything in his power for you to miss him. You think Eve would have had a conversation with the fallen angel? If somehow Lucifer would have stepped in and stood in front of Eve, you think Eve would have responded? Talk to me, church. No. Why? She knew who that was. Why didn't the devil present himself as himself? Because he does not want you to know it's him. His biggest plot against you is for you to miss him. That's, that's the beginning. You, if you're able to figure out this strategy in your life, the devil's going to have problems. 
But this is the beginning of the ones that I'm going to also unfold for us this morning. Because if you miss him, he's already in. And I have dealt with lizards running into my house and having to find a way to kill them. And the moment they get in, they don't want to go out. The devil, once he, gaze, he goes in, he makes himself very welcomed. And to remove him is difficult. Not impossible, but difficult. So the devil's first strategy is for you to miss him. He hid himself as a snake. If you're looking for a man with red horns, a pointy tail, and a pitchfork, you're never going to find the devil. The devil will not make himself known as who he is, not that he looks that way, but that's how he's often portrayed. But he will never present himself as him. Part of his persona is being what? Fake. Deceiving. He's a liar. He will use something that is good and he will create a situation to convert it into something bad. So that conversion results in negative consequences in your life. An illusionist, those uh, magicians. Now, I am a sucker for a good magic show. When I was in high school, I got, I, I got into magic. My mom was not happy about me learning sleight of hand and card tricks. Um, she often would throw my cards away. But I learned a little bit of the sleight of hand method, of, of what an illusionist does. A, an illusionist's success comes from what is known as sleight of hand. It's the... The art of distracting you from what's being done with something that requires your attention. You, you ever noticed when, you know, they're saying, all right, I want you to think of a number and they're shuffling cards around and they're looking at you dead in the eye and they're doing something over here with, with their hand and they're shuffling and they're doing all these things? It's to distract you from what's happening behind you. Now, the devil is not going to come up to you and tell you, hey, I'm about to, to destroy your life. Get ready. It's going to happen in two days, and I'm going to use your mom, and I'm going to use your sister to do it, okay? So be ready. I'll be back in two days. The devil's not going to do that. The devil is going to be crafty, sneaky, and shrewd with this plot against you. Your, your mom and your sister will just show up to your house. They will just, that one person will just show up. That situation will just show up. And if you miss him, he's in. Be very attentive with who you allow to speak in you and over you. I speak over and into my son. I'm consistently speaking over him. I'm consistently prophesying over him. But I also speak into him. I prophesy into him. Because I have authority over him. So I can do that. The same with my wife. But who I allow over me to speak over and into will determine where my life will end up leading. Boy, it's, it's my mom. It's my best friend. They'll never do anything to harm me. I think we've matured enough to believe and to know that that's not true. 
Often our biggest pain and suffering comes from our closest loved ones. Just ask, ask your parents how much pain and suffering you caused them. We caused them. And you'll get a little glimpse of the reality. There are times where I don't want to hurt my wife with my words, but I do. There are times where I don't want to hurt my parents with my actions, but I do. Be mindful. Be very mindful. The devil's plan, they don't look like deception. They don't look like malice. But rather, they often present themselves as opportunities of advancement. Jobs will pay you more. Relationships, if you've always desired to have a relationship, they'll show up. Connections, material possessions, and even hobbies. The devil is nothing but a deceiver. And you know that map that I told you about in the beginning? He's the one person telling you, hey, you have the wrong map. Your map, that's actually the old one. That one doesn't work anymore. What do you mean? I, I, just, I just started, I just got it. Yeah, but they've already made a new one. And they added the word progressive because it's about, you know, advancing. Yeah, I'm going to talk about progressive Christianity because I hate it. The enemy is the one telling you that your map, that your trust in the map that identifies everything that your life is going to require, he's the one telling you that this is wrong. He's the one saying, hey, that's actually a little outdated. It's okay to not tithe. It's okay to accept same-sex marriages, this is an outdated version. The software's been updated now. Now it's okay. That's how, that's how the devil sounds in modern times. Your map, Sarah, oh, it's old. It, don't, don't, don't look at that map because you're going to end up hurt. He's nothing but a deceiver, church. Amen? You still with me? Not spooked yet? Okay, good. So we got a long way to go. Now, how many of us have been called, have received a phone call from scammers? How easy it is to identify them? It's pretty simple, right? I'm usually very good, and you can ask my wife, I'm usually very good at identifying uh, phishing emails where they'll have the same template as like, PayPal or Amazon, and, but I'll read every line. I'll open an, an email from Amazon and the email that I just got, and I'll analyze the, the uh, design layout. Okay, same color. Oh, wait, this doesn't matter. And the moment that I identify a discrepancy, I know it's fake. They'll call me, and I hear them, and I'll, I'll often play with them. Oh, yeah, give me one moment. I'll be right with you. And I'll leave my phone, I'll mute it, and I'll walk away. Ten minutes later, I'm like, oh, hello. Oh, yes. And then I tell them, just give me one more second. And I'll, I'll leave them waiting. I like to play with scammers. But there was one incident where they almost caught me. I got a call from Amazon saying, Sir, we uh, noticed some suspicious activity with your, with your credit card. We noticed that there was some charges made and we want to make sure that it's you. 
And I was like, oh, well, I mean, I just used it. Maybe, maybe somebody stole my card or they stole my card number. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, what do you need? Okay, well, first, let, let's, let's just ver verify your phone number. And they obviously had my phone number. So they called me. Uh, let's just uh, verify, um, do you have an Amazon account? Yes. Okay, great. And they were just checking, you know, making it sound really formal. And then here's the kicker. Okay, all we need is just your social. I'm like, okay, um, why? Well, we, we, we want to verify that it's you the one that's making the purchase. Right, but you don't need my social. You have my account pulled up, right? What's, what's, what's my account number? Well, see, I can't disclose that if you don't disclose your social security number to me. And for a couple minutes, we just talked. And then I got a nasty feeling in my stomach because I was about to give in. And then I, I, I realized, wait a minute. I, I opened up my account. I looked at my Amazon account, and I said, there, there are no charges. And I, and, I, I, and I got the phone, and I said, look, man, you're pretty good, but I'm better. And I hung up. It's very easy to get wrapped up in the deception in modern times. The enemy will use every ounce of information he has on you to harm you, to attack you, to find your weak point, to avoid your strong points. The enemy does not hit you where you're strongest. He finds your weakest point. Why? Because he wants you to miss him. For some, it's family. Es que me llegó familia. ¿Qué hago? Uh, you bring them to church. Yeah. Have them wait for you. If they show up randomly, well, that's their problem. Yeah. Some people didn't like that. Okay. <laughs> I, I understand family is a big thing. I get that. But if God is not greater than your family, then your priorities are completely backwards. And that's why your family is in the mess that it's in. Amen? The devil needs you to miss him so that you don't see what he's doing, this sleight of hand. He's presenting you this new job, this new relationship, ooh, new hobbies. But back here, he's doing everything. That the moment you bite, you're hooked. The LGBTQ and transgenderism and homosexuality and modernized pedophilia... Yes, that's the thing. If you didn't know, research, please. Modern pedophilia. Their goal is to simply normalize sexual immorality within society. And little by little, if you haven't noticed, they're in. Little by little, they're slowly creeping their way in. Now, why is homosexuality such an issue? Why is that the enemy's biggest push? Because homosexuality is the reversal of the soul. When you enter into a life with Christ and you give all that you are to the Father and you are born again, what homosexuality does is that it reverses what you have just done. It puts you back in the state of Adam and no longer in the state of Christ. You know Adam and Christ? Adam caused the downfall. He was the, the original sinner along with Eve. And his downfall was his removal from Eden, his removal from the spiritual realm, from the fullness of God, from the connection of a relationship with God as a father. Christ came to reverse 
What Adam lost, the devil wants to reverse what Christ has reverted. Follow me? That's why the enemy is pushing homosexuality. He's pushing and pushing and pushing. And he's pushing not for you so much to become, but for you to accept it. Because in the acceptance comes the curiosity. Well, you know, what if I just... Maybe if, you know, maybe it's not as bad as it looks. The enemy will sneak his way in and subtly begin to poison you. And as he sneaks his way in, what he's doing is he's sowing seeds of doubt. Are you sure that that map is correct? Are you sure that that is actually what God said? Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. What did... What did the enemy, or how did the enemy question Eve? One day, he asked the woman, Did God really say? Is that what God said? Has anyone ever asked you, Did, did, did they really say that? And your first response is, oh, Wait, let me think. Did they really say that? What do you start doing? Doubting, okay, I need to double check because they're wanting confirmation and I don't want to give them the wrong info and I got to be sure. Where do you think that originated? Did God really say that? Now, do you think the enemy knew the answer? Of course he did. The enemy knows the answer to the question he's asking you. But he's wanting to make sure if you know the answer. The second strategy that the devil uses is to make you believe God is holding out on you. If, if you could flip that screen, guys, if you could do it with me, thank you. The second strategy is, that, is to make you believe that God is holding out on you. There's something about what's happening that maybe God is leaving out and he's not telling you the whole story. Maybe God is actually kind of lying to you. Hmm, did God really say that? Notice, the devil never mentions all the trees they could have eaten from. He only mentions the one that God said no to. Did God say, you, should, you shall not eat from the tree of, of the garden? Right. Now, this is what I want you to understand. The enemy knew exactly what tree they could not eat from. Now, he said, did, did God really say you cannot eat from, what, is, what does it say? From any tree, right? My wife's getting a little ahead of me here. Now, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The enemy will pose incorrect questions for you to correctly answer, but you're answering from a position of doubt. Notice how Eve responds. The woman said to the serpent, from the, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. So she said, well, yeah, we can eat from the trees. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it. Correct? But what does she do next? Or, touch it. No, no, no. You shall not eat from it. We, we can't eat from this tree. 
And we also cannot touch it. Bingo. The enemy just found out that Eve did not fully understand the instruction given. The devil is trying to make you believe that God is holding out on you. Notice what happens here. The devil didn't ask Eve to explain her freedoms, right? He, he, he didn't say, Eve, tell me what, what you are allowed to do. Because Eve would have been like, well, I can do whatever I want. And checkmate. How do you beat that? You can't. He only focused on the area that was restricted to them. He didn't talk about the food. He didn't talk about the expansion, the skies, the water. He spoke about the what? The trees. Because within the trees, there was something they were not allowed to do. Follow me here. So he was trying to pull her from, oh, I'm free, I can do all things, to let's look at exactly what you're not allowed to do. Follow me here. He wants to paint God as a God who was all about denying you access rather than giving you freedom. The devil reduces a command because God commanded the man and and the woman to what? Not eat from the tree of life. The, good, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, correct? That was a command from God. But what does Satan do? He reduces a command and makes it into a question. Did he really say you can't do that? I thought commands were set in stone. Commands don't change, right? If you say as it was in my house, you need to be home by 11 o'clock. My father was not asking me, do you want to be home by 11 o'clock? Because my answer would be, no. He was telling me, the command was, at 11 o'clock, you're not pulling into the driveway. At 11 o'clock, you're not letting me know I'm on my way. At 11 o'clock, you're already inside and I'm already setting the alarm. That was a command. The the Father, God, speaks over mankind, man and woman, and tells them, all of this you can eat from. That's a command. But this you cannot. It's a command. What does the enemy do? Did he really say you can't? He, take, he takes a command and converts it into a question. What's the point of a question? Did he actually say that we can? You begin to doubt. Let's keep going deeper. Now, when we reduce God's command by making them into question, we reduce the impact of the commands over our lives. God's no's are so we can enjoy his yeses. God says, give your 10%. So we can live with a blessed 90%. The enemy says keep 100% because he wants your 100% to be cursed. God says do not open the jar of sexual immorality to keep us from a life that will not be cursed by sexual immorality. The enemy says do whatever you want. It's your life. 
in, in order for us to live a life damaged by broken relationships. God says, plant yourself in a place, in a church, with people alongside the same vision and mission that you have to see the world transformed so that you can be part of the movement. The enemy says, church is like shopping. Pick, pick whatever you like that week. You don't need no commitment. You don't commit it to a church. No, you do whatever you want. The whole plot is just to enable you to start thinking, well, what, actually, what if God doesn't want me to be better than him? What if God actually doesn't know more than I do? What if I know more than God? Hmm. Maybe, maybe God is just messing with me. Because again, the enemy wants you to believe that God is holding out on you. That he's not telling you the whole truth. That what rightfully belongs to you, he's, he's holding on to it and he's giving you the scraps. Satan will counter God's command by making you question what he has said. Have any of you ever had a conversation with somebody that not necessarily is a believer, but they ask you a question about your faith and what you believe in and the Bible and you don't know the answer to? Anybody ever, ever, ever been in that situation? Just me? Thank you for those that raised it. Marina, it's just me and you, girl. It's just me and you. Isn't it uncomfortable? Because they're asking you a question, and you're thinking, oh, man, what is the answer? And have you ever tried to, like, make up an answer that makes no sense? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Don't, don't try it. I used to do it a lot when I was in high school. When I would argue with, these, with my friends that were a- atheists, right? Or they were agnostics. And they would a- ask me all these questions about, well, if, you know, if God is so good, what, then why does he allow childhood cancer? And if God is so powerful, why does he allow new uh, you know, babies to die? And all these questions. And I'm thinking, I don't know. It's an uncomfortable position. But that's where the enemy wants to keep you. That's why he, he doesn't want you to be looking at the map. Because the map will allow you to see. And if you're able to see, you can't be deceived. If you're able to understand, that means that you have understanding. Therefore, God can give you revelation. And the revelation will produce anointing for you to speak out of the revelation. And therefore, what you say has power. And that, therefore, what, you're, what, you, what you just exemplified as power has impact. But see, it all starts from the map. You, you all follow me with that? The impact starts from the word, from the map. If you know your map, you know what God has promised for you. If you know your map, you know that God is not holding out on you. In fact, He is providing everything that we're ever going to need. In fact, in this world and in eternity. But the enemy will do everything in his power to convince you that this is actually, uh, it's incomplete. It's missing out some pages. It's missing out that, that chapter about you getting to do whatever you want without accountability. Now, this is something that I believe is important for you to understand. The devil cannot make you sin.
He cannot make you sin. He cannot grab your body and make you commit the sinful act. He cannot grab your thoughts and make you think perverted thoughts. He cannot grab your words, your lips, and make you say perverted things. He cannot grab your eyes and make you see perverted things. He cannot make you sin. Understand? Okay. Now, if the devil cannot make you sin, that means that the excuse of, well, the devil made me do it, is no longer viable. The excuse of, I was tempted by, 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 the, by the devil, and it, that's no longer a viable excuse. Because the devil cannot make you do anything. Notice, if we read verse 12 in chapter 3, after the act of, you know, they eat from the fruit, she gives it to Adam. Adam doesn't even question, where'd you get this fruit from, woman? Men, question where, wherever your wife gets the produce from. It's good practice. If you don't know where it comes from, ask, where did you buy this? How much was it? Adam eats the fruit, and then notice, you know, their eyes are opened, and they realize, whoa, we're both naked. We got to cover ourselves. And then God shows up saying, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I hid from you, Lord. And then look at what happens in verse 12 and 13. God asks, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to? And the man says, the woman you gave me, she gave me, and it was her fault. Verse 13, so the Lord turns to the woman and asks, what have you done? And the woman, what does she do? Takes full responsibility. It was me, God. I was deceived by the serpent. I didn't read my map. I didn't listen to Pastor Kevin's message. I was lost. No, what does she do? It was the serpent. The, the shift in blaming. The devil didn't make Eve eat from the fruit. The devil simply made eating from the fruit an option. The devil cannot make you sin, but he can make you want to sin. How so? Deceiving your thought pattern so you begin to think differently. And then it becomes our decision, influenced by him, but not enforced by him. Notice. Oh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But we're, 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 we're going to see this exactly as this unfolds right now about you being the one that commits the sin, not the devil making you. But the devil plans his thoughts into your mind. And he plants them and he says and he says and he questions until it's no longer his questions. Now it's you're the one continuing to question. You all, you, you've all seen the, the movie Inception, correct? For the most part, you're, you're, you're sowing a thought, right? You go into somebody's sleep or dreams uh, and you sow a thought, and then you leave the dream so that the thought becomes theirs, and then therefore they produce whatever you wanted them to produce. I might have, you know, spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen it, it's like 11 years old. But it's a great movie. It's, it's a great insight into what the enemy does to you and I. He enters our thoughts through a conversation in ways that we miss him. We don't realize it's the devil actually wanting to infiltrate our thoughts because he'll use people that we talk to on a day-to-day -day basis. 
And the moment he sows that, he starts to, to allow us to start thinking about, well, maybe God isn't telling me the whole thing. And the moment that you start thinking on your own is the moment that it's no longer the enemy's thought, but now it's yours. And God's whole point, the only reason why God placed restrictions is to enhance the freedom. There are certain things you and I should not do. Why? So we can benefit from the things we can do. We should not steal what belongs to God. Why? So we can be blessed by what God has for us. But God cannot bless what He has for us if we are stealing from what is rightfully His. It took me a very long time to understand why my father was so strict growing up. I didn't understand why he was so restrictive until I understood. Until I realized, oh, he was telling me no, so this wouldn't happen to me. Now I get it. He wasn't lying to me. He wasn't being mean to me. He wasn't out to get me. He didn't just want me to suffer. In fact, his no was a promotion of what he was saying yes to. And when we're able to understand that no is God's way of allowing you to focus on what he has told you yes to, your entire perspective shifts when somebody begins to tell you, stop doing that, don't do that, and you realize, okay, I'm, if I don't do this, what can I do? And your whole perspective changes because you focus on the freedom God's giving you because he set you free from your enslavement. Instead of focusing, well, in Egypt, we had, and then you end up in the desert for 40 years. You still with me? You follow me this morning? Amen? Cool. Because we're not done yet. The third strategy that I want to present to you, and again, these are just mere, I call them title strategies, but these can be uh, subcategorized as well. The third strategy that God has revealed about the uh, devil's plans are he wants to make you believe God's word is untrustworthy. He has no issue with you reading it. As long as you don't trust in what you're reading. The moment you begin to trust in what you're reading is the moment you realize that the next time you read the Bible, you, uh, you get sleepy. You uh, get a headache. You begin to experience all of these setbacks that don't want you to read what you're beginning to trust in. Now notice, now where do I get that from? Verse 3 and 4. The moment when after the serpent asks the question, did God really say? And Eve begins to think about it. She responds. She messes up the command. But then this is what happens in verse 3 and 4. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, notice that she's implying that God said these words. God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it. The moment she added something that God did not say made the statement invalid. So be careful when you speak on, the, on behalf of God. That's just an extra thing. God has said that you shall not eat from it or you touch it or you will surely die. So if you eat from it, you will surely die. 
But what does the serpent reply? The serpent said to the woman, You surely. What does the word sure mean? It's an assurance. It's Think of it as a, a yes. So an assurance says you actually will not die. There's no way you will die. So the devil, the serpent, is contradicting what God has commanded the man and the woman. The, the, the woman at least got that part right. You will die. We will die if we eat from the fruit. But what does the serpent do? You will not die? He presented it in a position of, I know the answer because you're wrong. He presents himself not... He, notice he doesn't say, are you sure you're going to die? Did he really say you're going to... Notice he didn't want to sow doubt any longer. What was he trying to do? Revert the whole thing. Cancel the whole thing. You will not... Surely you will not die. It was no longer about sowing doubt. Now it, was, now it had everything to do with, with not trusting what the author of the word was saying. Because it's one thing if I tell my wife I love her, right? And then somebody asks her, does your husband love you? And she can say yes. But the moment that somebody says, actually, he doesn't, she's going to start thinking, why, why would you say that? Does he not love me? What do you know that I don't? And the moment that she has that conversation, not that it's ever happened, as an example, but the moment that she engages with the conversation that somebody is sowing into her, now that person has done their job. Because she's going to think, why did they say that? What's going on? No, it's not true. But why did they say that? And you begin to contemplate the thought. And you begin to not, no longer trust what was said to you. Now you begin to doubt. And you no longer feel the same way as you did at the beginning. The devil needs to convince you that God is lying. And I'm going to emphasize on the word convince. The devil will try to convince you that, that God is like him, meaning the devil, and he is like God. He wants to flip your entire perspective, your entire ideology on God and place it on himself. The I'll say it this way. The devil wants to present himself as the good guy and promote God as the bad guy. That's his plot. That's his plan. To allow you to see, look, everything that God's telling you is actually not true. It's not. He's lying to you. What do you mean you're going to die from eating a fruit? <laughs> Who dies from eating fruit? Who dies from having a little fun in life? Who separates, because death meaning separation with God, who is separated from God from living their life? He will allow you to think on what he has just sown into you. Satan is known as what? The father of lies. And we know that, correct? The, now, what I thought was interesting is how can he be the father of lies? And I realized, well, a father has what? Children. It's interesting. 
Because Jesus calls the Pharisees sons of who? Sons of the devil. So the father is a father of lies because he has children doing what he does. Right? Jesus pointed it out. Because the Pharisees were not interested in relationship, they were interested in religion. Religion leaves out relationship because relationship requires commitment. Religion doesn't. Relationship is the, is the fullness of understanding that it is me and you forever, not me and you when I want it to be. That's religion. That it's me and you whenever it's convenient for me and when I feel like it and when I want it. But if I don't, I don't need it. That's why religion is so appealing. That's why re religious centers and organizations are flooding with people because no one needs to commit. Amen? Okay, I thought I lost you guys because I, I looked up and I can't see. Now, the devil has children. So they are sons of the liar. And their characteristic is lies and deceit, a replica of their father. The devil successfully destroys the generational line when he is able to convince the fathers and the mothers that God is not a man of his word. When Satan is successful, those in which he was successful with become his children. And I'm not talking about, you know, the devil causing hardship in your life or problems in your marriage or, you know, setbacks in your career. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about when he is able to convince you. When he is successful in his mission to convince you that God is not God, you become his children. We become his children. Satan is successful in your life when he is able to convince you, period. If the devil can remove trust away from God, he can put you in the position that he currently is in. And what position is the, is the uh, devil in? Complete separation. Destined for damnation. Still with me? Everyone check, check your pulse. I want to make sure you're alive. I can't, some, sometimes I can't hear you. Satan does not care that you believe in God because he believes in God too. Again, he was there at the beginning. He knows the reality that is God, the Father, the Son. The whole, he's, he saw it all. He was there. He doesn't... He's, he's actually the one person out of all the other angels that knows the reality of heaven because he was there. You and I have not experienced it yet. So that's why the, the, the devil is so adamant in keeping you from believing what he knows is true. Satan does not care that you believe in God. He believes in him too. What he does not want to happen is for you to trust God. So many people believe in God. Yes, I believe there's a God. Yes, I believe there's a God or some God. But the moment you start trusting the Lord God, that's when all the problems begin to happen. 
Because trust means a firm belief in the reality, the truth, the ability, or strength of someone or something. A belief is a feeling of being sure that a person or a thing exists. Right? So, you know, you believe in oxygen, correct? Because we can breathe in. You believe in phones because we use them. You believe in doing the right thing because you've seen the benefit. We believe in, we, we believe in God, but the question has to be asked, do you trust God? Because you can believe in Him, but it doesn't mean you trust Him. Because again, trust means a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability, and the strength of someone or something. So when you trust in them, you know that if they say it, they're going to do it. Because they can. I believe, but where does my belief get me? My belief needs trust. The devil does not want you to depend on the reliability of God, his truth, his abilities, or his strength. Again, the devil needs to convince you in order to make you into his child. Another reason why he targets your identity. If you know who you are, meaning if you know you are a son of God or a daughter of God, if he can convince you that you actually belong to him, you lose your identity. But if you're rooted in your identity and you know who you are, you know who the Father has created you to be, therefore, if He cannot remove you from your identity, He cannot convince you, therefore, He cannot be your Father. The devil wants children as well. He's lonely. You think the demons are pleasant to have around? The devil just wants what God has. But the devil wants to pervert it. Because his only mission is to take and destroy. So your children are his mission. Because if he can't get to you, he will try to get to them. That's why more than ever we need parents that are unafraid. That's why more than ever we need parents that are determined to fight for their children. That are unapologetic when they fight for their children. They're not, they're not scared to say, hey, my child will not comply to your ridiculous rules. It doesn't matter if people don't like you. Because there will always be some that do. Parents, I, in church, I was alone in high school when I gave my life to Christ. I was oddballed out because my, my way of being was really harsh in the sense of, you know, don't, don't speak to me about these things. I don't want to hear what you were doing last night. I don't want to know about what you were looking at. And, and my conversation shifted. So many of my relationships were no longer my own and I was often alone, but God provided people He sent me new relationships in which I could build my faith with. So don't be afraid if your children are the only ones. God will send and unify them with people to strengthen themselves in their faith and continue persevering. Satan corrects Eve about something God told her directly. 
In Genesis 2 is when God gives the command. She was there. Because when, uh, when the verse says, and God uh, spoke to the man, the, the man meaning um, Adon, which is human being, mankind, not just Adam, but it was Adam and Eve. You guys should know that. So Eve was present, and the enemy, Satan, corrected her on something that God spoke to her directly. Be careful to forget what God has spoken to you, because it may lead to your confusion and ultimately your fall. Satan will always try to correct God in his own word. And the devil will use your not to sow confusion into your mind. You're not that bad. You're not going to get in trouble. You're not responsible for the pastor's needs. You're not supposed to give your money away. And my favorite, you're not going to get caught. Which is how I lived my pornographic addiction for six, seven years. Always, I'm not going to get caught. I got two scapegoats living in my house. Brian and Fernie. Sorry, guys. I never apologize, but sorry. I, I was under the, the belief, no one's ever going to know it's me. I'm not going to get in trouble. And the moment the enemy sowed that you're not, it became, I'm not. It was no longer your. It wasn't somebody speaking to me. It was me speaking to myself. I'm not. Be mindful. Be mindful of what you forget. Understand that when God speaks over you, He's commanding you for something. He's enabling you for something. And there's a story about a farmer that I'll, I'll tell quickly within the few minutes that I have left, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into the last strategy. There was this once this uh, farmer and this hunter, and this hunter was out there shooting ducks, just spending his time having fun. And he saw this beautiful duck fly by, and he said, oh, man, this is, this is going to be my prized duck. And he gets his, his shotgun, aligns it, and then boom, perfect shot. The duck comes down and lands on the field. And as the hunter is moving towards where that duck landed, he notices a gate. And he says, what is this doing here? And the farmer says, hey, you know, what's going on? What do you need? And the hunter said, oh, my, my duck landed in your field. Can I get it? And the farmer said, that's my duck. And the hunter replied, I just shot it, and it landed in your farm. Can I please get what belongs to me? And the farmer said, it's my property, so it's my duck. And the hunter was infuriated and mad, and he said, but that's not fair. And they began to argue and argue and argue. So the, so the farmer says, you know what? I'll tell you what. Let's, let's, let's do a little competition. You punch me and I'll punch you. The person that grunts the least keeps the duck. And, and to be nice, you, you get to go first. So the hunter, was, the hunter was a young guy. He said, oh, pff, I got this. I got this. I got this. And then the farmer's like, well, actually, you know what? Let me go first because I'm older. Give me a chance. And the hunter was like, fine. You know what? This guy's not going to hurt me. I can take it. So the farmer stretches a little bit, you know, kind of an older man, cocks his fist back, and he hits the hunter right in the stomach. The hunter goes, oh, falls to the floor, kind of laying there in pain, catches his breath, gets up and says, not bad, old man, not bad. My turn. And the farmer says, here's the duck, you win, and leaves. 
It's exactly what the, the enemy does to us. All he wants to do is trick us, deceive us, make us believe something when it's actually false. Be mindful of who you are conversing with. Be mindful not to trust in the map given to you at the beginning of your journey. And the fourth strategy that the enemy uses is to position us in the place of God. And this is where verse 5 comes into play. After the serpent says to the woman, you surely will not die. And this is what the serpent says in response. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The reason he says like is because if, if he had mentioned, and you will be God, Eve would have understood this guy's speaking nonsense. Because she knew, and the serpent, the devil knew, nothing could be God, because they were there at the beginning. So they knew. But look how crafty the enemy is. You will be like him. In other words, you'll be almighty, like God. You'll be omnipotent like God. You'll be all-knowing like God. The devil tries to counsel you into believing that God is selfish and that is why he wants to be God over you. The devil's goal is to make you, is to make what happened to him happen to you. That's his goal. For you to get removed from Eden. And he was successful with Adam and Eve. The devil's mission is to have you be removed from God's atmosphere through the avenue of death. Through the avenue of placing you in the position that God is in. And you will be like God. So remember the map, church. Know that this map explains what you need to learn. Know, understand, comprehend what you need to avoid. This map also tells you where not to go. It's not to be restrictive and to deny you. It's to protect you. It's to allow you to realize, if I don't do this, I will benefit all of this. Therefore, I will go where my map indicates to avoid the pain and suffering of my own rebellion and arrogance. We don't know better than the map. We don't. This was written by the one that made you and I. So how can we know more than the one who made the path himself? Don't let the enemy sneak his way into your camp. Don't let the enemy believe, make you believe that God's holding out on you. God's promised you everything. He gave you his son. He gave you eternal life. God's holding nothing out on you. Trust in the word. Don't let the enemy convince you that this book is outdated. This is the most modernized book you can never read because it's timeless because it's always relevant because it always says the right thing and it always comes in its perfect timing and don't let the enemy make you believe that you can be like God he made you to be his child not like him not in his omnipotence but he made you into his child for relationship 
the greatest title we can possess, children of the Almighty God. So let's stand to our feet this morning, church, as we come, come to a close. And I just want to pray for you, and we will dismiss for this morning. We receive this morning, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you and we believe that your word does not come back dry. But what is sown in faithfulness, God, will you water it? We pray this morning to have vision like Christ, to be crafty like Christ, to see when the enemy is creeping up and wanting to sneak his way into our camps. Allow us to stop him. Allow us to see what he is doing and destroy his plots. Give us the conviction in knowing that everything that you promised in your word is true and is relevant today. It's not outdated and we hang on to your promise. We hang on to what you've spoken over us. We hang on to what you've said and we know, God, that you have promised us everything good because your word says so. And we trust, Lord, we trust in you. We trust in your words. We trust in what you've done. We've seen you move and we believe that you are God in control. And we thank you, Father, that we don't have to try to be like children, but you have already accepted us. You have indeed adopted us to be your children. Allow us to always remain humble, Lord, knowing that you have done it all for us. That in, in our own abilities, Lord, we are deficient. But in you, God, we have everything we need. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for exposing the enemy this morning. And we vow, God, to fight with boldness, to speak with authority, to not be afraid of consequences when we know that the God of creation is with us. We believe it, we depend on it, and we praise you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And the church says, amen, amen and amen. Thank you for being here this morning, church. And again, we'll, we'll see you on Wednesday.